Yo, everybody, welcome back to The Pixelist, the podcast about all the nerdy things we enjoy, and hopefully you do too. I'm Will, that's Blake, and uh, today we're here to talk about some Critical Role, and I'm going to keep this little intro short and sweet because uh, we're on a slight time crunch, so uh, how you doing today, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm really good, and I hope everyone watching is doing good as well, and uh I feel like I'm always apologizing. I just, this episode's coming out so late. Don't and do I just, it. All right. All right. <laughs> you life, know, life, life be crazy. Life happens. <laughs> life happens. But you know what? Yeah. We made it in time again before the new yep. episode comes out. So I'm counting yep. that as a big fat W. Um, more from us to come in the future. Like I said, going to keep this short and sweet. What was just announced right before we went live, basically, is Exandria Unlimited Calamity, and I don't know if you have a ch- you had a chance to check it out yet or not. I saw the tweet. I haven't watched the YouTube video, and then I saw the cast listing. Yeah, so just super excited about that. I'm sure you guys are too if you're watching this video. Um, but yeah, bro, I got some I got some Halo Reach vibes from this. Ooh. Did you ever play Reach? I didn't, but I'm like vaguely familiar yeah. with the story. Um, basically, everyone dies. So uh, I mean. That's- that's seemingly kind of, i don't know i don't know <laughs> you know it's seemingly maybe the same here it's just gonna be super interesting to get a, yeah. a peek at one of these like fundamental events in the history of exandria and uh plus brennan dming very excited about yeah. that yeah. um and uh, i think abria is a player right yeah 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 cool Fun and, stuff. Uh, yeah, so super excited about that. I'm sure we'll talk about it more down the road. But it does look like they are rolling out multiple stories in the Exandria world, which we called that, as did anyone who <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty obvious to everyone. Exandria Unlimited. But we're, we're claiming we're take it, it here. Yeah, we're gonna claim it. We said it first. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, it's great to get another um another story in the Exandria world, man. Yeah. So and we're my wife and I are finishing up um uh, EXU, Kymel. yeah, Kaimal, and uh, that's been amazing. Uh, so I'm excited to wrap that up and then talk about it here as well. Yeah, me too. Um, but I guess without further ado, uh, let's jump into this. <laughs> and if this is your first time with us, what we do is we like to do a recap of each episode before we dive into properly discussing it, theory crafting, and everything. So um, we cut that recap out of our typical podcast and we rehost that just as a recap so if you find yourself on that video thanks for checking us out and if you're interested in the full discussion we will link that below um but yeah do you want to get us started today my friend with uh episode 22 of critical role yeah so what happened on episode 22 of campaign three of critical role this episode was called promise and potential and the episode the party's basically making their way back to jassar from the adventure in the heartmore in basically robbing the um uh the esteemed hydroga and uh, some of the important documents that they've stolen from him as well. So the party makes it back to Jassar, and they decide to effectively, they have a couple things in mind. They're thinking, first of all, we're exhausted. We've been traveling. Uh, we need to get some sleep. So they decide to head to the Spire by Fire and uh, kind of kind of lavish themselves a little bit. So they get a couple of rooms. Uh, Chetney, they kind of joke with Chetney. I'm like, are you getting a separate room again? And he's like, uh, he's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> he's like, just get two rooms. So they get a couple rooms. Um, I'm pretty sure they have drinks and food delivered to their room, 
also yeah. if i remember correctly and the party basically they just kind of enjoy some much needed rest after this um kind of crazy adventure that they've just been on and what's interesting is that night ashton has some memories some dreams of really the heist that we've originally been clued into of whenever him and the nobodies broke into gianna, gianna hexham's uh estate and it's very unsettling it's not necessarily new information but he's having these images and kind of because they're about to go see her and visit her in the morning and he's really just remembering you know yeah that all that all happened to me that was kind of traumatic but i haven't really thought much about it i guess and actually this is going to be a, a running theme actually once they get to gianna's place he's going to remember some things which we'll get into in a second but party wakes up in the morning they head to hexham's estate and ashton also is there's quite a bit of time spent in this first half on uh really kind of coaching the party on how to interact with her and is being a bit um not so much in the sense of like don't offend her but in terms of like hey this this person's a bit more dangerous than maybe you've realized and so he's like absolutely do not steal from her fern and uh fern's like oh i i just borrow things long term and he's like seriously do not steal from her <laughs> uh and if you do just don't get caught and he also mentions that you know some people are genuinely nice and then other people they basically play nice they basically it's more of like a um i don't know if like a political tool is the right way to phrase it but it's basically like um not that she's being disingenuous but just know that if she's being kind she's being very intentionally kind and you don't want to do something that gives her a reason not to be so like right. i said pretty much coaches the party on how to interact with her the party goes to like her estate they enter in and it's kind of like a bit of a mysterious place um not well lit but they hear this violin music playing from the second floor and i think there was a joke in there maybe from ladna or someone who's like you know beware these sentient um <laughs> instruments that are you know playing in the hall <laughs> Uh, but there were no like self-playing instruments. They actually go up to the second floor to see uh, Hexum playing the violin. And she's playing this piece and totally ignores the party, by the way. I mean, she's really purposely focused on this piece. And there's also this older woman who's kind of watching and listening. And it's a beautifully played piece. And it's quiet as they wait. And then finally, as the song ends... This woman approaches Hexum and basically says, you know, well done. Uh, here's your homework for our next lesson and gives her a couple more pieces. Uh, that person leaves. I think it's Fern, um, I believe, who's like, hey, do you give lessons? Or, and she's like, yeah, uh, yeah speak, to, speak to Hexum for my business information. And I think her name was Dinah or Dina. Um, I can't quite remember, but. I think so. Hexum basically says that um, that was a, a renowned celebrated musician in Jassar who's now retired and is giving her private lessons on the violin. And that really in the last year is when she kind of picked up the violin. And uh, I think FCG makes a comment around the effect of like, yeah, you're getting pretty good at that. And she makes kind of a semi-curious remark on like how she can really, really likes to focus in on things. Um, I'm not even phrasing it right, but you know, kind of is a bit of an unsettling response that you're like, okay, cool. <laughs> you're very intense. Well, so 
she's immediately like, okay, give me, give me the good news. Um, I know you were successful. Um, you know, what happened? And the party immediately shows her the stack of papers uh, that, if you recall, revealed that much of Hydroga's um, museum were fakes. So she loves reading through that. She's like, oh, yes, our circles will, uh, will, will have so much fun with this. And um, the party also, you know, they don't do it necessarily in front of her, but they've also, um, even in thinking about their trip, uh, sort of joke and talk about um, getting like a card for um, the verdict, uh, the other group, yeah. and like maybe buying them some flowers and like, sorry, we set you on fire, yeah. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> but um um, and I actually did forget that when they were at the inn, as they were reflecting, um, Orm shares a little bit about what he knows about the uh, spiraling shin uh, and the grim verity as well. Um, so that's another small detail. But anyway, the party they're talking to Hexum, and she's like, "Well, you've you've done what I've asked you to. Here's your thirty five hundred gold, and here's also on top of it uh, a satchel of rubies and gems worth about a thousand gold." And she's basically like, "Well done." And Fern basically is like, oh, don't forget the statue that I told you I wanted uh, down in the entryway of the estate. And Hexum, she sort of says it half seriously, or it seems half serious. And Hexum's like, yeah, in fact, if you can take it out with you, you can have it. <laughs> so she's like, uh, okay, great. Um, so their party's actually leaving to go do that. And Ashton um, basically asks, like, hey, we're we're square now, right? Like, we're we're totally covered. And Hexum sort of hesitantly is basically like, you know, I have so much more work I could give you guys. But yeah, all things considered, we're square. Deal's done. And so she sort of frees Ashton from his jobs with her. Um, but she has one request. She does ask if she could have a moment alone with FCG, which remember, if you've been watching all the episodes, people are really taken in by FCG and curious yeah. about him. So Ashton basically says, like, yeah, you can have that conversation with him, uh, with FCG, if I can sit in on it. So the party basically leaves, and they spend the rest of that section basically trying to figure out how to lift the statue, <laughs> which they're doing all sorts of things. They try, like, magic. They try, you know, asking the statue, like, get up and make yourself lighter. And it's like, it's a statue. Uh, but basically, back in the private office, Ashton is watching as... Uh, FCG and Hexum are having this conversation where Hexum's basically asking, you know, where did you come from? Who made you? And FCG's like, well, Dancer made me. And Hexum's like, I've never heard of a dancer. Um, and is at one point, like, actually like, grabs his head and is like looking at all like the bolts and hinges and making FCG very uncomfortable to the point where FCG's like, you probably shouldn't really do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, if you want, I can teach you how to like, you know, be polite and have conversations. And Hexum's like, are you asking me on a date? <laughs> and he's like, uh, oh, I don't think I am. But um, anyway, while this is happening, Ashton's also looking around the office and he notices he's remembering moments from the heist from before. And he even notices this crate in the corner of her office that is very similar to a crate that he has an image of um, from that night that he got injured, uh, which will come up later in the episode. All this to say, uh, Hexum basically has two requests of the FCG. Um, first, uh, Hexum asks, hey, if you, if you, or there's two things that happen here. Basically says, hey, if you come across any other automaton like yourself, would you be willing to send them to me? And he's kind of like, uh, maybe, I, I potentially guess so, it's possible. And 
Hexam again points out that how rare FCG is and how most automaton do very simple tasks. They're not sentient like FCG is. And then FCG in return asks, do you know where I could find people like Dancer who build things like me? And she says, well, I don't want to give you, give you necessarily like my confidential sources, but right. there's people all over. In fact, if you go to any major city, you'll probably find people. So they leave. Um, the party decides to effectively they need to go check out um, Lord Estros and talk to him. Um, but as they're sort of leaving the the manor, um, Ashton goes over to the large uh, statue. He rolls a 23 for strength and literally just like picks it up. And like there's no issue whatsoever. So they get on the gondola to head back toward Estros's manor. Um, Ashton's definitely he's having these memories of the heist and he's visibly upset about it. And um, FCG and Imogen offer, Hey, if you want, we could detect thoughts and do a little mind meld, mind meld. and kind of see what happened there. He flips a coin. He's like, all right, screw it. Let's do it. Um, but maybe later tonight, like when the day's over rather than like right this second. So they agree to that. And then they also talk to FCG some more about like, you know, man, people really like you. Like they're really taken by you. And they all kind of throw out ideas for what could be happening there. Ladna, I'm mentioning this because I've said it on the, I've said it here in case, in case it happens. <laughs> Ladna says, maybe you are a dead person, like a soul who's been inserted into this automaton body. And um, FCG kind of nervously laughs. But um, <laughs> FCG basically says, yeah, I only, my memory only goes back about three or four years. That's when I kind of like woke up. And um, Dancer worked on me little by little until I became, you know, a full functioning part of the troop uh, until they were all like totally murdered and obliterated. Um, <laughs> and also mentions that they were hired by the, I think it was the Raya family. Um, yeah, I think so. And the same family had paid Ashton to sort of figure out where did our, our group go. Right. So anyway, they head to Estoros' manor. Uh, they walk in on him basically having like a training session. Uh, he's like, you know, doing a physical workout with like a target dummy, I guess. He's so cool. Yeah, he's so cool. And he, um, I think it was like his cane like doubled as like a, a weapon of some kind. Yeah, or he had I think like so. A scythe or something. It was really cool. Um, but they're like, hey, we were ready to tell you about all the crazy stuff that happened. And he's like, oh, well, I have some things to tell you about as well. Ooh. And that's where we go to break. So you want to take it from there? Yeah. So I'll pick up there. And we come back from break, obviously. And we basically pick up with Eshros and the party filling each other in on what's happened and the absence between them. Um, so the first thing Eshros says is that, you know, Lady Emoth, whom they captured, uh, they got all this testimony out of her that basically pinpointed Armand Treshi as a conspirator. And because of that, he has gone on the run. And uh, if you recall, the party, the party's efforts at the ball to get this like tracking device on him um, was the whole purpose of them going. Estros has been using that to track him. And up until I think a couple days ago, he'd been moving around, but now he has left the city. And uh, through another source of Estros's, he found out that the rumor is he is helding, he is heading to Basuras. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Basuras. Basuras, which is, I think, where the Paragon's Call is headquartered as well. So apparently right. he is like ducked off tail between his legs to go regroup there. And um, which it's a pretty far away. So Estros is like, if you're interested in, you know, pursuing this, you can use my airship. It's back in port and, uh, you know, it can get you there. Um, and he lets him know that the airship has actually returned from its previous journey of um, 
ferrying Bertrand's body to Whitestone. Right. And excuse me, he uh, tells them that and actually hands them a letter, which came with not with the body because they left the body, but it came with the return trip. And uh, so he hands it to the party and they basically elect um, Imogen to read it because as it turns out, the letter is from Vexalia, who was, you know, Laura's Vixalia character. Vexalia Dirolo, by That's the way. Right. That's right. Spoilers. Yeah. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so she does her best Vexalia impression and reads the letter. It's a really cool moment. Um, but essentially just, you know, thanks Bell's Hells for taking care of it and, you know, but had really actually a lot of kind words about Bertrand. Um, and of course was signed Lady Vixalia. So they think that's really cool. And, uh, you know, Orem's like, you sound just like her. And the, the everyone in the, in the cast is like, Oh, like you knew Lady Vixalia. And he's like, no, you know, I was just in the room sometimes when, uh, when she was there. So they have that little moment. And then, uh, Estrosh basically hands them a new map, which is a large map of basically like the whole Hellcatch Valley and Basaros. Uh, am I saying that right? Basaros? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh area and so they are you know super excited and matt actually physically hands them a map as well so they're really yeah. giddy about looking at that and estros points out like these different subterranean tunnels that are on the map um he says they're like sinkholes that lead to this subterranean right. like webbing and uh that's why that's one of the reasons it's called the hungry valley uh, is because you know people get sunk up in there um, there were a couple of really cool landmarks on the map yeah there was like the troll fairy i think was one of them and just a lot of really interesting cool things i uh i haven't looked yet but i'm, I'm wondering if anybody not to get off subject here but like tweeted out an hd picture of it yet because i really want to like take a good look at it myself yeah um anyway he hands him the map and um he's basically like you know if you want to be a part of this go get him bring him back here so he can face justice and they're like, well, what if we kill him? And he's like, well, bring the body back. And uh, I think FCG asks uh, about the Green Seekers. They're like, are they involved in this? Are they headed there? And Estra says he hasn't really spoken to them, so he's not really sure where they are in the grand scheme of things, but that almost certainly they are still on this investigation. So perhaps they're headed there. Perhaps they're there. Um, he's not sure. Um, Estras then gives them the tracker for Armand so that um, – you know, if they do make it there, they can use it to hopefully find him. He says it's got a couple mile range. And if he is in range, a light will basically point toward the direction you need to go to get to where he is. Um, and he also reveals that it's been about a week since he lost the signal on this tracking device. Um, so then he gives them a quick history lesson on the area in the Hellcatch Valley that they're going to. And he says uh, there's a lot of different factions there that think they're in charge. Um, the military keeps kind of a loose rule and it's basically really shady. Like if you see somebody that looks shady, they probably are. So keep an eye out. And uh, FCG chimes in and recalls that uh, they were actually made in Basaros and that the attack on his family, for lack of a better word, basically happened in that area of the world. Right. Um, so finally, the party is like... You know, they all caught each other up on the information and they are going to take him up on this. They're going to use the airships. So they're like, okay, let's make our final arrangements before we head out. And one last thing they ask of Estros, though, is like, will you make us some baked goods for the for the journey? And he's like, Evelyn, go to the market for tonight we bake. Yeah, get, get my tools. <laughs> <laughs> so they part ways. And next up, they are going to go to the Dial Hall, which is... Um, 
because of Chetney, who wants to speak with Aji Dial, who Gurge pointed him in that direction. So they head there, and this is basically like a really cool, like, university type feel. There's lots of like kids uh, studying and lectures happening. Um, very studious environment. Uh, so they walk in and there's a couple of guards and Chetney approaches and like, I'm here to speak to Mr. Dial. And he basically rolls terribly and the guard just essentially ignores him. He's like, okay, cool, buddy. Um, so then Imogen steps up and she tries and mentions, you know, hey, we're we're here because Headmaster Grease, you know, told us to come talk to him. And she rolls well enough that the guard does go and get uh, Ajit. So he arrives, they do their introductions, and um, they say they work for Estros, and he's kind of caught off guard by this, be like, oh, really? Like, like he's not, like, off-put by it, but he's like, I thought he was a loner. So the party was like, ah, should we not have said that? Yeah, um, right. But then they're like, uh, you might have to actually speak in private. And so they go to his office, and basically Chetney explains his connection to Gurge and that he, too, shares the same affliction that Gurge has and he's basically here to find out more about the Gorgini. And Ajit explains that, yeah, he met Gurge because Gurge and the Gorgini saved him and his wife from this jungle mm -hmm. monster that attacked them. And they've basically been friends ever since. They kind of had this relationship where Ajit would help them get different supplies they may have needed and couldn't get a hold of themselves since they kind of live out of society. Um, but eventually Gurge, you know, split from the group, which we knew that. Um, and yeah that he hasn't really talked much to him since. Um, but Chetney's like, great. Yeah. Could you possibly get me an introduction with the Gorgidae? Because I'm trying to learn more about my affliction, yada, yada, yada. And Ajit's like, you know, we could, there are cures. We could cure you if that's what you're looking for. Right. And Chetney's like, no, no, like I'm not. Traps like no way. <laughs> He's all like, this time. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I still am like, <laughs> he, made, he made something about like, I want to understand my own existence yeah, first or like, something. Yeah, know who you are before. Yeah. Something yeah. Like that. <laughs> so he says that doesn't interest him now, but he still wants to meet them because they are like the one group that seemingly has somewhat of a control over their affliction because werewolves are known to like lose control, kill people, attack, eat uh, indiscriminately, uh, except for the Gorgini. They seem to, you know, like I said, have some measure of control so that's why he's interested and um while they're talking about losing control and stuff the party is like chet have you ever lost control like have you ever had one of these moments and he says <laughs> you know no no of course not um but with a little pushing they're like you know there are some times when maybe like i've like i don't remember what happened and they do a little bit later but uh bring up how he attacked orum when they were doing the museum heist and basically they boil it down to, you know, he, he was in danger, his health was really low, and he just, the beast takes over in those instances. So the group's like, all right, noted. Um, let's watch out for that, see if we can figure out some stuff from it. Um, but back to the main discussion, uh, the Gorgini. Ajit basically tells them that they're, they've moved to the place called the Gloom Jungles because they didn't really fare too well in the open desert area. Um, so they've gone there and the best way to probably get in touch with them, and this is at least what Gurge did was he left the city, would go out into the wilderness where they were and just howl as loud as he could at the moon. Like when, I think when the moon touched the mountains or something like that, um, and then they, they would come and find you, but he's like, but you know, be wary because other things are in the jungle and might hear you howl. So hopefully the Gorgina get to you first. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's your best bet for finding them. 
Um, so he thanks them for all the information. And they do briefly ask him about Ruidus and Ruidus-born people, since he's like a scholarly guy. And Ajit is familiar with the superstitions, but he basically thinks they're just that, superstitions right. and like excuses, like instead of taking responsibility, just being like, oh, it was the moon's fault. I was born under the moon. <laughs> yeah. so, so he thinks it's, it's kind of hogwash in that way. Yeah. But so everyone really likes him, by the way. They even do an insight check. They're like, man, I hope he's not like secretly a douchebag. Um, yeah. But everyone likes him. And uh, they basically conclude well, their business there. There was, but there was an insight check where he basically says, and if you come across them, just let me know like how they're doing. And they right. do an insight check and they get a whisper. I can't remember who does the insight check, but he gets a whisper about like, huh, that was interesting. And so we don't know what happened there. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Laura. And then okay. we don't know what happened, so who knows? Yeah. But I feel like she laughed. So in my mind, I feel like Matt just like was like lying and is like he's super evil. Um, yeah. But who knows? Maybe <laughs> it was the truth. But yeah, there was an insight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> no, you Sorry. Um, so then they leave there, and the next stop is they're going to head back to the Trove of Marwa uh, to do a little bit of shopping, uh, but not before Ladna remembers to pick up a croissant to bring her because of their little huh. thing they did last time. Yeah. Um, so they get there. It is revealed that Marwa has a little pet uh, rat named Jay, which, you know, of course, Laudna was very excited about. Um, they basically ask her what new magical items she has. Um, and just a quick rundown here. She shows them a magical horn that if you blow, only the target can hear it. Um, mm -hmm. They've got a murder apron, which is like this butcher's bib that constantly bleeds. And yeah. uh, it basically improves your uh, slashing damage. I think you crit on a 19 and it it never stops bleeding. Yeah, um, I think it let you like re-roll. Did it let you re-roll yes, or something? Yeah, or? it did. Yeah, I think okay. you could re-roll like your damage and you had to take the second one. So second you, one. It wasn't like yeah. advantage necessarily. Yeah, um, really strong item. Yeah, really cool super item. cool too, like just thematically. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then she also presents them a portable hole, which if you're not familiar in D&D, &D, it's basically kind of like a bag of holding sort of. It's basically like an interdimensional pocket that they can carry around with them. Uh, Fern actually jumps in it and they find out, right. I think it's about 10 feet deep. And they're of course are like, we have to get this. So they do a little bargaining yeah. with her and basically buy everything that I just mentioned. Um, in addition to that, they get a couple of potions and some spell components and um fcg's <laughs> never ending list of yeah. random things that he needs and like 100 pounds this? of silver or something. Yeah. <laughs> So yep. they get all of that and, you know, say their goodbyes. And next up is uh, Zudana's house really quickly just to check on her. And Imogen and Laudna give her some gold, just make sure she's still breathing. <laughs> and then they head on over to the Crook House. Um, and when they get there, uh, Milo is asked to make a propeller for FCG for various purposes. So Milo gets on that and... Um, while there, Ashton basically just asks Milo about the original job that he'd been thinking about all during this episode. And uh, Milo says that, you know, we were hired and I think it was just a vengeful smash and grab. And Ashton does an insight check on that and he gets a whisper. Mm. Um, and I think yeah. we're basically later told, so we're not, ta not told this in this moment, but Milo too is kind of ha having a hazy time remembering right. the events yeah. of this. There's something and, weird about it. Yeah. Yeah. He's got like some holes in, uh, excuse me, they have some holes in their memory. Um, and more information that is given here is Milo uh, says that they were called Jeto, Jito. I don't, I have it written down and I can't remember how it's pronounced, but was heading the job. 
and they were after something that Milo didn't know about. Uh, Milo says it feels fuzzy and something hit them with a wave and everything became almost like a dream briefly and then they just ran. Uh, they didn't realize Ashton was left behind at first. They came back, you know, did the best they could. And, uh, you know, here we have Ashton today. But Ashton was also, uh, Milo says, gripping this vial in like a death grip. And uh, Milo actually used the vial as he was just trying everything they could yeah. to to fix Ashton. I like um, how nonchalantly I'd be like, yo, what? You... <laughs> yeah, wait, what did you put in me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But um, so uh, Milo gives the propeller, gets that done, and um, they basically leave the Crick House after that. They uh, stop at the Soot and Swill for a quick meal, and then they head back to the Spire by Fire. And this is where FCG and Imogen decide to cast Mind Meld on Ashton to try to figure out what happened that night. So this sequence was really cool in the episode matt was just basically explaining these like flashes and fragments of memories that they saw as they were diving in detecting thoughts into ashton and so basically it went like this um the first thing they get is this uh someone saying the shipments are timed this is our only chance uh and then there's a flash to just like running through the streets and then there's a flash to a room that has these runes that all of a sudden illuminate and the instinct to run. Um, then there's a flash of a crate hidden off to the side. Um, a flash to Ashton, opening it with a crowbar. A woman's voice asks if they found it. Ashton reaches inside. There's like glass clinking around. And they pull out a singular glass vial of this like gray liquid. And then the runes begin to glow flash and the next thing ashton knows is that they are like flying off backwards on the balcony just like seeing the night stars and the balcony ahead of them falling um and then darkness uh the next flash someone's yelling he's dead leave him next flash more running next flash blurry vision then a light then a dark shape in the light and then milo coming into focus being like you okay like oh my god you're back and then it ends and they like stop the the mind meld the mind meld spell um so then they basically ask like ashton are you okay like and uh ashton's currently under calm emotions from fcg but fcg drops it and ashton immediately begins like pounding the wall and um very upset clearly um he says he recognizes the woman that was in the vision it was sally one of the members of the nobodies and he's just like some of this information was new to him he hadn't recalled these things and he just realizes there's a lot we don't know here milo also had holes in their memory like i'm gonna have to go find the nobodies and talk to them and figure out what's going on here so the party winds down for bed after that and um one last thing that happens is orem takes out the sending stone and contacts dorian and he basically tells them what they're doing where they're headed and that they miss him and dorian responds in kind is like miss you too i just I have a crazy story but i'll tell you later and that's where the episode ends Ooh. that is what happened in episode 22 of campaign three of critical role jam-packed so, man yeah it was a long episode it was almost five yeah, hours, five hours. Um, yeah which i'm all about I'm all about the uh, the long D and D session. 
Um, but I know for you and I, it's tough to <laughs> get it all in one sitting <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> with, with life and toddlers and kids and, you know, anyway. All right, man. Oh my. Yeah. Bears, that's right. Let's get it out the way. Let's go ahead and say it. <laughs> What'd you <Great> think? Episode. <laughs> Loved it. You know, I thought it was amazing. Thought Matt's dream sequence at the end, the way, just the way he was able to deliver like the half sentences with like the, yes. yeah, I think like the channel changer, like, you know, as it would cut to the next image. Um, Matt just is so gifted. I mean, this it's just so incredible. I, I don't know if you, uh, I, don't, bleh, I texted you when that was happening and I was like, man, Matt is just so good at this. So I don't know if you saw that text, but that moment is what I was referring to. Okay. I saw the text, but I just, in general, I feel like we're always just like, <laughs> Matt, <Mercer>. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was no context for me saying it. So that's why I yeah. wanted to fill you <laughs> in now. Great. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was just so good, man. It was like, right. I was just so enraptured by it. It was I don't know, it's not to wax poetic on critical what critical role is but it was like we might as well wax. been like a in, in an imax theater like watching a sequence like that's how like right vivid and like well done it was in my opinion um yeah so shout out matt i guess he shouldn't you know maybe he shouldn't quit his day job but he's pretty good at this yeah he's um, all right <laughs> but yeah so love the episode we got a lot of like interesting breadcrumbs towards people's backstories you know we got some yeah. interesting fcg stuff uh right. obviously the ashton stuff um it's crazy chetney. yeah yeah yeah, Ch- yeah of course chetney as well um it's i just can't wait to dive in more they all like almost every single character has like a fascinating kind of i don't know if mystery is the right word but like element to them that i was just I'm so excited to explore. So it was cool to get some more on the journey to that in this episode. Yeah. And it's cool. The story points that are being foreshadowed too, like FCG being like, Oh yeah, I was built in Basaras. Yeah. Um, things like that where you're like, Oh, that's a nice little neat coincidence. So it seems like we're going to, all these stories are going to continue to intertwine with whatever's happening. Um, which, you know, Hey, they saved Jersar, presumably it seems like Armand has moved on and well, has run away. So it seems like, do you, is Armand the big bad you think, or <clears throat> of like the whole show? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. I don't think he's, he might be like the current, a big bad of the arc, but I mean, big bad of the show. I'm ready for like a multiversal interdimensional <laughs> ruinous being or something <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah i mean i'm there was no direct mention of like the shade mother but part of me's curious was like was that dealt with uh we didn't really get an update from the green seekers so who kn- who knows but at the very least we know that armand was being targeted and he wasn't dealt with because he escaped but you know they seem to be on the current corruption but the question is like how much how much was the nightmare king who was puppeting who you know like maybe right. the nightmare king was the real one that's that's up to no good and he may still be up to no good for all we know or if it was Armand right. then maybe it's solved um yeah I, was, I almost and I almost kind of have the impression that there are some threads that are dormant and that won't be lifted back up like the Shande Quorum, for example, there was a lot of conversation around their identities, um, the morality of that group um, in terms of the decision-making they were, they were 
deciding. Um, but even specifically the um, the ivory. Uh, oh, the ivory syndicate. Syndicate. Yeah. Is it syndicate? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and how they were possibly even working collaboratively with the Shonda Quorum. Yeah. Uh, so I'm definitely curious if when these things will come back up again. Um, but yeah, it seems like their sights are set on Armand um, as sort of the central figure of all the shenanigans that have been happening in Drissar. Yeah, and I feel like those plot points that you just mentioned, it maybe will just, they won't be like fully head-on addressed, but maybe like in the group communicating with Ashros via, via in person or through magical means, maybe he like, maybe we get little like breadcrumbs of what the machinations of Drusar are looking like. But to me, it seems like when we leave here to go to Basaros, might not be coming back for a while. Cause yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of comments. I mean, Estros basically said, I need my airship back uh, within the month. Yeah. Uh, and then as they kind of said goodbye to uh, Milo, Ashton's like, yeah, we're going to be gone for a while. You know, look out for yourself. Um, yeah, it definitely feels that way. So, yeah. So to me, it would be, I still want to like get little pieces of what's happening there, but I feel like as far as like direct plot threads that the party's following, maybe a lot of them are going to be, if not completely left, left for a while. Um, but I mean, we say that who knows what this, an Armand encounter could lead to. Maybe they're forced to go back to deal with whatever he had set up there or, you know, who knows. And I wonder what the Paragon's call is, what their role is going to be in all of this, because, you know, they were, the machinations were clearly to try to get them to come in. Right. He's been found out. Have they been found out? Are they still like, yeah. what? I wonder what they wanted from that. Were they just being paid and they did what Armand told yeah, I them? Think, or? I think it was like the power grab that we kind of picked up on. And I mean, they picked up on, um, but yeah, Estros mentioned not only had Armand retreated to Bosseros, but that he had some line that was basically, the initiative to bring the Paragon's call in has been totally suspended. Okay. So yeah, they've, they've been, their job applicant has been <laughs> application <laughs> denied. Has been denied. Yeah. Huh. So they presumably retreated with him and uh, they can't be happy about it. Yeah. So. Like, I don't know. I mean, Jusar seems like a very large, powerful city for lack of a better word. We don't know how powerful Paragon's call is, but I'm wondering if they are, within the realm of trying to like have a coup yeah, take without it the blessing. Yeah. Like just be yeah. like, okay, well you didn't do it this way. Now we're doing it the hard way. Um, I could totally see that. Yeah. Like a returning to boss Ross to kind of regroup. And then, you know, I guess the question is how involved are is like the majority of uh, Marquette, like would on Corel allow that to happen? You know, yeah. they kind of let everyone fend for themselves. Uh, but I think you're definitely you're thinking about something that I, I agree could definitely happen. Yeah. So I mean, I'd, it'd be interesting to see, and hopefully, you know, I mean, assuming we will, because that's where they're headed. Um, but I mean, they may never find Armand. They may get there, and he might be gone. He might be dead. They just find his hand in you know the sinkhole. <laughs> oh Lord, the uh, he's gone. The sub the Hungry Valley or whatever it's called. Right. Um. But yeah, so uh, leaving Drusar, don't think we're coming back soon. They he they do have to bring the airship back in a month. Well, they don't have to. I guess they could just 
send, send it, it back. back. But they did mention, I think, that if they finished this within that month time frame, they might use it to go to EOS. Yep, that's um, right. So, and this is just, I'm circling back around on this long tangent, but I feel like Drusar is going to be in the, the rearview mirror for a minute. So I'm kind of excited to see everywhere else we explore. I mean, Basaros itself and EOS both sound really cool, especially um, Basaros, if that's where FCG was made, that's super interesting to me. Yeah. Um, because it's kind of like, I would almost, I feel like he would, it would make more sense if he was made in EOS because that seems kind of like a studious, like forward thinking, like yeah, place where cool stuff would get made. Whereas Bosseros is like this in the valley, like there's no law. So I, uh, that's about what I got from it. <laughs> like, you it know, Mad Max. Yeah. You, oh, that's actually, no, I think that's a great way to, you know, uh, describe it um i definitely got kind of a mad max like every man for themselves kind of vibe so yeah it is interesting that something like fcg would come out of boss ross as opposed to eos yeah so i mean like i mentioned earlier i'm basically really interested in everyone's mystery but fcg is one of the the more enticing ones just to figure out you know what is he is he you know the dead guy in a robot's body is he in an aormaton from long ago that was refurbished like what what killed his friends and family so any any groundwork we make up there i'm really excited for yeah i mean i'd be everyone i you said it earlier i really like everyone's story i think i'd be hard pressed to imagine each person having the size of like story reveal as we got with Laudna and the sun tree. Um, not that it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility, but um, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is I'm prepping myself for it to, for it to either be something like you are this dead person whose soul's been, you know, here's all the stuff with that. And it's like, what? But I'm also prepping myself to, you know, it's, it's, even like a little less sexy than that. And there's a little bit more like a humble beginnings type deal. Um, I'm just excited to dig in. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. You know, I, I've said this before, but I mean, everyone, I really enjoy every character. Um, and my buddy started watching actually from my D and D campaign. Oh yeah. He's on like episode three. And I was like, so what do you think of the characters? He's like, dude, I like all of them. They're really great. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, they really are. Nice. Is he, uh, is he hooked yet or still on the fence? He didn't know about it, but we play D and D every other week. And I was like, yeah, man, if you really like, and he really enjoys it. He's like, talk to me about how he's always like on Instagram and stuff like that, reading about D and D. And I was like, I mean, you definitely got to check out critical role then. And, um, he was like, yeah, like my wife and I, we really, it's really cool. And then he was like, I got to do a better job on our D and D sessions. <laughs> I was like, well, they're professionals. So it's okay. But you were on your phone that entire session. <laughs> you will lose two hit yeah. dice yeah but that that's awesome i i love it when somebody new discovers it and can you know listen to me talk about it and understand now because i like to tell people anyway let me not get off subject here so there's there's one big thing i want to talk about but before we move to that the action stuff basically um because i feel like that's basically the juiciest thing that we have here but before we move to that 
Was there anything else in this episode that you had particularly wanted to talk about? I don't much to say about it. Um, I really like Marwa as a character. She's so great. Yeah, and I just I just love they have such a um, great interaction with her. So just in general, I just really appreciate that shop owner. Um, the other one is um, uh, Chetney in the Dial Hall. Uh, that's the only thing I'd want to talk about. Right, um, right. Which we, we can do now, or we can do it after Ashton if you want. Um, yeah, let's just knock uh, let's just knock old Chet out. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I just um, not really much to say about it, other than I just thought it was interesting how this the I never say it right. Gorg Gorgine, how do you say it? Gorgine, Gorgini. You're muted. Gorgini, I think. Gorgini. I don't know. Now I'm in, yeah, I'm in yeah. my head about it, so I'm not I think sure. It's Gorgini, but um. Yeah, uh, IG Dial mentioned that um, there were people. It basically says like to Chetney, like, "Hey, you definitely want to meet them sooner or later and get control of this thing because there are people who make a lot of money hunting people like you." Right. So that was interesting to me, and maybe just kind of wonder, you know, where could that potentially go? Um, there, there, there was that, and then there was also chetney saying like i was i don't know how he phrased it but like i was basically warned that if i didn't get a hold on this like someone would come and deal with me right um, which we've heard of that group before but in the yeah. past i was always confused of like who was the gorgini and is this another group um but that when he said that it made me think that oh, okay that's a separate group from the gorgini and do you remember what that was by any chance i no, but that, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but that even seems more noble than what it's oh, right, like. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it seems like there's maybe two groups. There's sort of like this more, you know, we hunt the, um, you know, in kind of like a Witcher vibe, like the monsters, yeah. you know, are causing mayhem. And then there's separately, there is this group that is... Um, like poachers, basically. Like. Exactly, exactly, right, yeah, so... I'm getting it from both sides must be yeah must, yeah it's <laughs> hard to be out there yeah <laughs> i did um, think it was interesting in in D D world that there were there was a cure for it um, yeah it actually I, makes me wonder why the gorgini wouldn't collectively be like yeah let's just <laughs> we're living in a gloomy forest <laughs> let's just go ahead and cure this bad boy yeah so. i mean maybe they're like chet and they just you know, they like it. Like, I'm sure it is. I mean, not to get into like literally ana analyzing something that's <laughs> fiction, um, but I could see it. Like if you had the ability to transform and get like much stronger and agile and especially if you're older, like uh, like Chet, well, I don't know if he's actually old for his race, but I think very attractive in a lot of ways I could see. So, I mean, you know, if you yeah. can get the other side, other parts of it under control, then I think I'd be cool with it. You know, keep your cure. Yeah, yeah, I can see that for sure. But yeah, it it is definitely interesting. I I wish I remembered the name of that group, which it may not. I may be even confusing things, and there is no group, and I just like I said, I'm confusing things. But if there is, I really want to know more about them. I really hope mm -hmm. we see them. Um, I mean, even if it's in an adversarial fashion, like if for whatever reason they've deemed Chetney to be a 
a hazard and are like hunting him, I still think that would be cool. But it would be cool just to see them in a non-adversarial yeah, situation so as well. He's, he's got to check out more about the Gorgini. And then we also know that that other douchebag that he hates is probably going to pop up as well. Oh, um, uh, can't think of his name. His boss or whatever. Is the guy that he, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is his name? I can't oh, remember. Oh, no. okay. yeah, but I know you're talking about. Um, he's like, he's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's going to drive me crazy. Maybe it'll come to me. Um, but yeah, that, okay. That would actually be really interesting if he, w- I mean, I don't think this is the case, but if he were affiliated with either of those two camps. Yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so, so super interested to find out more about the Gorgini and just kind of what, like, are they just nomads and they don't like, are they like Luddites? They don't like civilization. They just prefer being out in the woods or like, what is, what is their deal? You know? And how think, have and, they gotten control of this? Like they have. Yeah. I think it was Imogen or maybe FCG even asked like, are there people who are part of this organization or just, werewolves in general who opt to live their lives in their werewolf form completely 24 7 yeah and i don't remember his answer maybe i don't think he gave a definitive answer but um that would be a bit curious if he runs to this group and they all are you know full-time werewolves yeah like you know that made me think of uh when in dbz when goku and gohan like stay super saiyan all the time to like uh for the cell games or whatever to like adjust So, uh, yeah, that's just my little aside. I have nothing else to add there, but yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, Oltgar. Uh, Oltgar, that was yeah. His name. Uh, guy in the chat just reminded me. Uh, oh, thank you, okay. KK. Nice. Um, yeah. Oltgar, yeah. Um, sorry, I got off track with my DBZ comment and I forgot where I was going. <laughs> Such an important reference. Yeah, yeah. So. It needed to be made. Well, we can talk about Ashton if you want. Yeah, let's do it. Um, crazy so i i'm trying to decide where to even begin so i guess at the beginning so there's these crates which we found out about through the hexam or not hexam the hydrogas hydrogas notes research which is like every three months or something they show up and then somebody else comes and picks them up seemingly i think all but 99 percent confirmed that would be the same crate that ashton right messed with you know because we had the voice that said like they're on a schedule like this is our chance um and the fact that what was inside was a glass vial that made things all weird yeah and, it's a bunch of glasses in there yeah and pres- and i mean we don't out, yeah we heard glass like kind of rifling yeah. around and then pulled out the vial and i guess presumably we don't know what else was in there but best guess is that it was a lot of those vials could be yeah right um Pulls it <laughs> Maybe out. she ordered a, uh, a uh, flight of vials. Who knows? <laughs> pulls it out, uh, death grip, and it is seemingly the miracle ingredient that allowed him to come back from his injury. Um, and we know that Ashton has, it's a homebrew class that he and Matt came up with, but... Uh, right has these like elements of chance to it where he rolls the dice to see which rage he has, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all these things and more lead me to believe that this was a uh, dunamantic 
liquid energy, which is, I think we briefly have talked about this when we've postulated what maybe happened that night and what was in the chest. But um, this dudamancy is a school of magic that was introduced in campaign two, and it has timey wimey weird stuff associated with it. And uh, again, this isn't confirmed that that's what that was, but in campaign two, there was another, again, without like giving spoilers, there was this moment where the research was being done. The party kind of finds it, reads through it. And um, you know, the, the thing in the museum that was a beacon and it, it was fake, but I think we briefly talked about it. Um, those were basically being studied, a real one. And uh, this liquid was basically extracted from that study that matches a similar description. Um, so seemingly, I think that's what that was. And him taking it is probably what has led to his, one, that he's alive, but two, that you know he has those elements of chance because it's all thematically flavored like for this dunamantic energy which i know this is like that was a lot of word vomit especially if you're unfamiliar with campaign two but i've seen other people say this too and i feel like i would be really surprised if that's not what it was um that's a great insight i mean i i had no idea what it could be and um never saw campaign two obviously but that in my mind checks out that makes a lot of sense yeah and just Super cool, and not to get on the the train of talking about how everyone's backstory is cool again, but uh, there's just so many interesting elements. Like we have Ashton, who's tied to some stuff in Campaign Two. We got Laudna, who's tied to not really tied to stuff in Campaign One, but you know, Imogen, who's freaking got stuff with Ruidus going on. Werewolves. It's just like everyone has such little like cool flavor injected in, and um, in Ashton case, literally, I guess. Uh, cause he got that juice up in his brain, but is, I mean, yeah. is this something, would this vial be something like, is the, for lack of a better term is dunamancy liquid? Is it like a rare prize substance like broomstone? Like, um, yeah, you know, what, what was campaign or an EXU that they found in uh, the warehouse? Oh, that was, um, uh, residuum. I yeah, think. I mean, wasn't that also like a prize, like rare mineral of yeah, some kind? Yeah, that's like a powerful like resource spell component. Can use it for like anything, basically. Yeah, so we have residuum, we have broomstone. Now there's this liquid, and I think I interrupted you. You were saying it is like kind of in that same tier of like super yeah. rare, highly sought after. I would say it's even another level because it's like uh, oh really? Okay, it's like new. Uh, so like I said, and can't so. To give a very brief kind of, and it could, this could all be wrong, <laughs> and this is like I'm wasting everyone's time, but uh, to give a really quick overview, as spoiler-free as possible, um, campaign two, there's this thing called a beacon, which again, Hydroga had a, a fake one in his museum. It was one of the, the whatevers, and it's basically like this religious artifact, and um, one of the things that it, it did in campaign two, again, slight spoilers but um mechanically it allowed for like a re-roll kind of like the luck feat for D&D you know if you get a bad roll and you have the lucky feat you could re-roll it this thing essentially gave you one of those and it was like it was uh flavored as if as a fragment of possibility like you're staring into the void and instead of you know this streamline of time where you 
rolled poorly, you're actually going this way where you rolled well type of thing. So really cool. And these hmm. religious artifacts were being studied. And like I mentioned with the research and stuff that the party found, uh, you know, figures that B wanted to use as they always do, like, how do we turn into a weapon? How do we, you know, do this? And so that's where the, the vial was extracted. And it's like, we've successfully like liquefied this, this magic or whatever you want to call it. Um, so like that didn't even exist basically until campaign two. And presumably I think that research has continued possibly in secret. It wasn't supposed to be. And maybe now there's like this black market for selling dunamatic energy. Now what it's like, being marketed as i don't know maybe it's like hey live forever hey like get a new you know it's hard to like translate mechanics to like the real world application of something like that in D, &D but you know liquid luck or something but i think it would be this is a very long-winded answer but tears higher than both residuum and broomstone because it's like a new substance that's probably illegal um, not that laws even would exist for it yet, but, uh, some next level stuff, basically like, um, yeah, wow. which again, I hate that we're, I'm just all basing this on an assumption, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> what it is. Uh, yeah. Great call it, out. It explains to me why Gianna was so interested in keeping Ashton around and didn't turn him into the cops. You know, originally we were like, oh, she just, you know, like we didn't know what the, the reason was. But to this, it makes sense to me. It's like, no, like I got to he has that in his brain. That's what brought him back to life. Let me keep an eye on this. Let's see what's going on with this. Um, I think that to me, that explains her fascination, for lack of a better word, with Ashton. Hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, yes, again, sorry for just word vomiting so much, but. I'm very interested in what the what the black market hustle is here for her. Um, to go on another level, try to be quick of <laughs> stuff that this stuff does. It, like I said, it's a religious artifact, and one of the things that this like culture that was their religion believed, and it they didn't just believe it. I mean, it was true. It's a thing that happens. Is they would be consecuted, which means their soul when they die would go into this beacon. And then it would later, like when a child was born, their soul would go into it. So it was kind of a way to like be immortal in a way. So like that kid would grow up and when they were like 10 to 12, they would start remembering their past life. And then they would eventually like be that person again. Um, this is like the theory behind it or like in campaign two, there were actually people who that was the case. There were actually people who that was the case. Um, so Do like both souls live in the cube or in the person i mean or like like where does the baby's soul go so i think the way it was explained it wasn't that like they got replaced it was just that like that always was them again go tanks yeah fusion <laughs> i'm with you <laughs> yeah i guess um but i guess that okay. might that's kind of like a mystery still i guess is like was there original soul that got kicked out or was it just always yeah. and then the religion is this like an old god kind of like um one of the deities or is there a certain one in particular or yeah so it's based on uh the luxon which is again if you don't want spoilers like don't look into it um but it's one of <laughs> if not the oldest entity that um 
basically brought life to Exandria. Um, not, I mean, I guess we don't have confirmation besides Matt just saying that's what it is, which that's, I guess, <laughs> as the most confirmation you could ever have. But, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah. So hmm. anyway, all that distilled back into what's happening here. It would be super interesting. I don't think this is the case. But because of all of that, it would be really interesting if Ashton is someone else that like their soul was in that liquid, for lack of a better word, again. And, uh, you know, that that was like consecuted liquid and now some other entity is in his body. Um, again, I don't think that's the case, but just the possibility was there. So I wanted to at least throw it into the ether. Yeah, now it's getting weird. Yeah. <laughs> cool yeah. okay yeah no that's interesting um and that's definitely like a lore dump for sure that i had knew nothing about but uh makes sense to me <laughs> <laughs> yes and if it ends up not being the case we'll just not mention it again yeah and if it is the case we'll say we uh we've <laughs> said it this day one <laughs> that's right that's exactly right um yeah. but yeah so again all that with the bow on it whatever even if that's not what it is, let's just throw that all away. It's obviously something very powerful and potent if it, you know, brought him yeah. back. And I wonder who Hexum's connected to because she's she's the implied middleman in this right situation, right? I mean, she holds it temporarily, presumably till it's safe enough to be shipped again, like whatever window she's waiting on. So I wonder what part of organization she's working with. Yeah, me too. I wonder if she's, yeah. So the, again, without getting into spoiler territory, if all that stuff I said was true, there are some like players that were involved with that research and stuff. And so maybe they're still the ones involved and maybe they're dealing with her. Um, but yeah, I just super curious. How does she fit into this? And I want to know, I want to know what that stuff does when not just poured into a random person to help them come <laughs> back to life. Uh, so super interested yeah. to see. This person's uh, mortally wounded. Let me go ahead and just throw this in here. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, okay. A lot of questions, a lot of questions, but super cool. Yeah, let us know in the comments too what you guys think is going on here with the vial because this was an interesting, this was definitely an interesting part of the episode. Yeah, and, well. you know, just Ashton in general, you know, that, uh, that cult was he a you know part of it and does that have any relevance to anything in this scenario or i don't know yeah yeah mm. i will say the further we get into the story the more i get apprehensive on someone dying <laughs> oh yeah because i'm like oh their story's getting so good I'm like be safe guys so it could happen to you i, I hope not no nope. Well, anything else you want to talk about from the episode? Um, I mean, I think we hit most of it. Definitely the, yeah. the big things for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you guys for checking out the episode. Um, you can definitely follow us on our Twitter at the Pixelus. And uh, let us know in the comments what you thought of the episode. And then we'll be watching tonight. We've been, we won't get this episode up. You know, we won't. Be, I won't be able to watch the whole episode tonight, but um, stay tuned for our next episode. And uh, definitely, we'll be doing something around uh, EXU, or excuse me, Exandria Calamity, um, as well as we're going to do Doctor Strange too, right? I'm down. Okay. 
Okay. I'm down. I think we have, I think we have some things to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. What do you want to do for a thumbnail? Uh, I have no idea. You got any ideas? Maybe something related to the dream sequence or. Um, yeah. 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 Maybe one of us could be like, kind of like looking around, like, you know, like, shh, you know, and the other person's like, you know, like, like breaking into something. <laughs> okay. <I'm in. laughs> All right. Which one do you want to be? Uh, I'll be the shh. Okay. All right. I'll be the break in. All right. Ready? Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. We got it. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. And, uh, it is Thursday, so it is Thursday. Enjoy the episode. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. All right. See ya. See y'all. <laughs>